This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair, put my lipstick on, in a glass of cover dry. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me here again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV, radio, terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. I just want to quickly, before introducing my guest of today, I just want to quickly thank my sponsor, Halton Honda, for believing in the content and the program of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. As well, I just want to thank once again my family and friends over at the C-Suite Radio Network. We're, of course, following the live show. You can also see the podcast link and upload that, download that on my host page. So once again, I am joined by yet another phenomenal guest. I'm actually very, very stoked and uh, grateful for this guest of today. My guest today is a gentleman by the name of Coop Blackson. So who is Coop Blackson? Well, what I can tell you about Coot is that he is the author of the best-selling book, You Are the One, and is widely considered the next generation leader in the field of personal development by everyone ranging from Larry King, Jack Canfield, Marianne Williamson, John Gray, Don Miguel Ruiz, and many more. He has been featured on Larry King Now, National Morning Show Fox and Friends, and many more. A charismatic visionary and transformational teacher, Coop Blackson offers a fresh, bold look at spiritual awareness for a whole new generation. Coot's unique lineage laid the foundation for his approach to breaking down barriers and setting the gifts and greatness of others free. Born in Ghana, West Africa, Coot's multicultural upbringing as the child of a Japanese mother and a Ghanaian father has spanned four different continents. For over 20 years, Coop Blackson has been inspiring audiences around the world. His electrifying presentations not only offer real-world practical ideas and soul-stirring wisdom, but also ignite the heart and inspire courageous action. Coot's trademark transformational experiences set him apart, including his radical one-on-one liberation experience in India and his boundless bliss, the Bali Breakthrough Experience, Group Journey. He is widely sought after by billionaires, celebrities, pop stars, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and leaders of industries. During his intense journeys, Coot strips his clients emotionally bare and dares them to face their deepest fears so they can emerge reborn. His mission is simple to inspire people across the world to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. Just wow. Coot, welcome to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. How are you, my friend? Thanks for having me. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. It's great to be here. Well, I mean, I want to first off say thank you for the gift of your time. I know how off the hook you are uh, spreading your magic all across the globe. And I also want to thank you very much for the personally inscribed copy of my book, uh, which I've been thoroughly enjoying. So I want to thank you for everything across the board. Awesome. Uh, So let's just get right into it. You are a very phenomenally interesting gentleman. And, (laughs) you know, you have there's a lot of people, as we know, immersed in our world of personal development who are very uh, alike in our messaging and our brand who are doing phenomenal things across the board in the way that's unique and specific to them. But what I love about you, Coot, specifically, is you just, you take the most complex of concepts and you simplify it and articulate it so succinctly and so passionately that the light bulbs go off every time I hear you piece two words together. Like, really, you're quite gifted. So Mm, Thank you. So what I'd like to get into, maybe for the listening audience, uh, I'm always interested in the inception of my guest journey to start with, first Mm. and foremost. So let's talk about Vijay, your client in the slums of India. Let's talk about some of the miracles that you've seen unfold Mm. before your very eyes. Let's get into that. Sure, sure. I mean, look, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I I grew up in London and 
from a very young age, I always felt a, a deep calling to serve humanity. I remember being age five and being in, in London and Ghana and just feeling this deep burning desire to make a difference in people's life. You see, my first memory, probably around age seven, age six or age seven, was being a chubby kid lost in the crowd in Ghana, West Africa. And I remember crawling. I remember literally seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor and, you know, her hands were a little mangled, her feet mangled and she's crawling. I'm lost in the crowd. Thousands of people and she picks up the sand that a man walks on wipes it on her face and stands up and so you could say that was a miracle and this man didn't see what was happening and so week after week i grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hearing and people standing up out of wheelchairs and all sorts of wild and amazing things which at the time seemed seemed ordinary to me the man this man whose hand she picked up was my father and so i was privileged that you could say grow up in a a unique environment, although I didn't know any different at the time, a, a spiritual environment with, with a father that was uh, considered a, a miracle man. Uh, he had 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, had a huge church in London. And so when I was age eight, I was literally thrown into the audience and told by my father to speak. And age 14, I was ordained as a minister. And for me, uh, from a very young age, I always became very obsessed with, uh, you could say, spirituality and personal growth. And, you know, the biggest questions that I had as a young boy were really, who am I and why are we here and what's the purpose of life? And I became obsessed with trying to, you could say, understand this existence and why, why are people happy? What makes people happy? Why are some people miserable? And, and so I started a quest around age eight, nine, ten, reading books and studying and meditating and, you know, read a lot of the Western uh popular authors from the Marianne Williamsons of the world, the Wayne Dyes of the world, the Louise Hayes of the world, to the Eastern mystics, uh, the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who started TM and, and on and on and on. And so when I was ordained, uh, pretty much given the mandate to take over my father's ministry at 14, my entire life was set out for me. My path was set out for me by my father. He had pretty much decided who I was going to be and how my life was going to unfold. And honestly, I knew in that moment when it was announced to the congregation that this was not my path, this was not my destiny, and my heart sunk. You know, I knew a deeper reality, a deeper truth within, within myself. But the truth is, I was in that moment being 14, wanting my father's love. I was too afraid to be honest with my father and tell him, no, this is, I don't feel this is quite right. I don't feel this is my path. I was afraid to own my truth because I was afraid that if I was really honest and lived my truth and spoke my truth, that I would not be loved, that I would be abandoned, that I would be outcast, that I would ultimately <clears throat> be alone. And so I went along with it for four years. And for me, from 14 to 18, it was the, the four years of hell, because I think when we know something is true inside, when we feel something is true inside, and when we betray ourselves, when we go against our truth, uh, it, it, it's painful. And I think one of the things that keeps us stuck in patterns, old patterns, one of the things that keeps us unfulfilled and unhappy are all the ways in which we <clears throat> don't tell the truth to ourselves, all the ways in which we lie to ourselves, all the ways in which we BS ourselves, so to speak. You know, maybe we're, maybe <clears throat> those listening in, maybe you're in a relationship and, and you know, it just, it's not quite right anymore. Maybe it was right, but maybe you're in a relationship and it's just you're no longer in love, but you're in it because and you're afraid to maybe uh, speak the truth or be yourself or maybe even break up because you're afraid of what people will say or you're guilty or, or whatever the fear is. And so uh, we, we often compromise what we know. Maybe you're working a job, right? And maybe you're in a job and, and, and you're working the job, but you know that it, it, you are not giving your gifts fully. You are not in alignment with your purpose. I think maybe uh, those of you listening in may be able to relate and maybe you feel as though there is much more. There is more. There are more gifts. There's more creativity. There's more liveness. There's more that you want to give, but perhaps you're in a job that doesn't allow you to give that. And so it's painful. And so I think, you know, to me, happiness, I found out from a very young age that happiness is simple. It's not always easy. What it requires is that we feel the truth, tell the truth, acknowledge the truth, live the truth. Simple, but not always easy because of our fear. And so at 14, I was afraid. So it took me four years, literally, to muster up the courage to 
speak to my father. I made a decision when I was 18. I literally, like Lisa, I looked into my future and I saw the expected path. I saw that I could follow the path that was expected for me by everyone. I could follow the path that, that was set out for me by my father, but I might achieve success and fame and, and, you know, touch people's lives. But at the end of the day, no matter what I achieved following this path that was laid out for me by someone else, if I didn't have myself, then what did I have? And I felt yeah. the pain. I felt the pain of that, you know. And then I looked at this other path that was like something's pulling me to go to America, to, to, to go to America, find authors, find mentors, and go into this field of personal growth. And uh, it was scary because it was the unknown. And I think many times uh, we're afraid of following our truth, following our heart because of the unknown. We're afraid of how, how, how will I survive? What will happen? And I think we have to trust that if, if you feel an impulse, if you feel a, a dream, a vision, an impulse, something inside of you, a deeper truth, acknowledge what that deeper truth is, acknowledge the impulse of your soul, the dream or the vision, and go in the direction encoded in your dream, encoded in your intuition is also the seed for its fulfillment. And so uh, Cut a long story short, I, I left everything behind, had a conversation with my father, left my father's ministry, uh, came to America. Again, long story short, won a green card in the lottery, literally wow. a green card. In, if that's not proof that the universe yes. is supporting me. <laughs> and so I believe that when we follow our truth, the universe does support us. And many times we are waiting for the universe. We're waiting for the universe. Universe, please show up. And the universe is simply waiting for us. And so uh, that was proof. And I came to the U.S., two suitcases, $1,000, knew no one in the country, uh, showed up, went and found teachers and mentors and authors and learned from them, studied with some of them, went to the seminars, realized the limitation of some of the approaches. And then, then I went traveling. And that's really kind of what brought me full circle to my work today. I started at a very young age. I started traveling. I wanted answers. You know, I, I was tired of reading the books. I thought, I want to know happiness for myself. I want to know truth for myself. I want to know freedom for myself. It's great that so-and-so says it and so-and-so says it and that person writes about it. What does it feel like? And so I started traveling to places like Japan, studying with monks. I started traveling to Thailand. I started traveling to Israel, studying with rabbis. I, I, I ended up in, in India and had some really profound experiences in India. And that's really, India has touched my life. It's part of what my book was about. And uh, mm -hmm. then I started, started coaching people and transforming people. And it's been, you know, 15 years since. Absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. And a few things that impressed me, and as you were speaking, a lot of things simultaneously come to me at the same time. So I'm going to try and hold all these thoughts. Um, so one thing that impresses me is in my research of you, you know, you read your first self-help book at eight years old. And by the time between eight and 18, you had read a total of around approximately eight to 900 books. I mean, that's, I mean, some people, regardless of their age now as adults, they will never aspire to read that. And yet, Mm. All that material, all that content is for the purpose of making you more clear and really getting t in touch with what your purpose is and your passion so that you can pay it forward, you can be of service, and you can operate at your highest vibrational level. So the fact that you embarked upon that at such a young age, I mean, I can only imagine and I'm getting a sense of it now on the airwaves, as I'm sure the listeners are, where you're at and how you're operating in the sphere of your space. So just absolutely beautiful. Now, one thing that you talk about that really interests me, it's the concept of the game that we play of I don't know. Let's talk about that. Yeah, look, many times, that's why I say, that, you know, happiness is simple. But the thing that keeps us stuck are all the ways we don't tell the truth to ourselves. And because we're afraid, we're afraid of ultimately we're afraid of the consequences of what will happen if I'm really myself. What will happen if I acknowledge that this job isn't working or, or I hate my job? Or what will happen if I acknowledge that, you know what, we're just not compatible in this relationship anymore, but I've invested so much into it. We're afraid. And because of that fear, the fear of the unknown, the fear of rejection, the fear of what people say, the fear of not being liked, the fear of not being accepted, you know, all of these fears that the fear of being abandoned, all of these fears, the fear of if you know who I really am and what I really feel, you won't love me. And so then we pretend to be someone that we're not in order to get love and acceptance and approval. And so what? So one of the games that I see with my clients uh, over the over the last 15 years, one of the, 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 the patterns of the games that we play is this game of, you know, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's a game of confusion. I don't know. It goes something like, I don't know. I don't know if... I don't know if this relationship is right for me. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know if I should be. I don't, I, I don't know what to do when deep down, 
the truth is you do know. Yeah. There is a part of you. There's a part of each and every one of us that knows everything because there's a part of us that knows everything because at the deepest level, you are everything. But many times we can feel the truth. We can feel the truth when something's not right. How many times have you maybe been you as in everyone listening? How many times have you been in a relationship and you knew something was off or how many times did you meet someone and you felt something was off and you still went through with the relationship or you went through with the marriage or you went through with the business deal and you knew you had this sneaky feeling, this, this subtle felt sense, something is off. I don't have any proof, but something is off. But we didn't pay attention. We didn't listen to it. And so many times I think we have a knowing. We do, if we're honest, we have a knowing inside, but we ignore it. We second guess it. We don't honor it for whatever the reason. And and so when we feel that knowing, many times what we do is we distract ourselves. We, we social media it away and go into social media and distract ourselves. We eat it away. We work it away. We sex it away. We Whatever it is, just to not feel the truth of what we know. And then we wonder, why, why am I not happy? What You cannot be truly fulfilled and happy and live an authentic life lying to yourself. You cannot be truly fulfilled, happy, free, alive. Living someone else's life, an authentic life requires that you acknowledge the truth. So I would ask everyone, everyone listening in today, no matter where you're at listening to this conversation, ask yourself these few questions. Number one, if you really want to shift your life, if there's one thing, one thing you can do right now, it is to ask yourself, what are the lies that I'm telling myself? And be really honest because, you know, I kind of give an analogy sometimes. You know, maybe you've been in a relationship and you're in this relationship and you were playing this game. I don't know. I don't know if this is right. Should I leave? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then, and then you broke up with that person. And then you told your best friend, you know, I knew that was never going to work. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the relationship, you were confused. But the moment you broke up, you knew it takes courage to own your truth in a world that is constantly trying to distract you. Media, society, newspapers, social media. We live in a world that is constantly trying to distract us from, from connecting to our intuition, from connecting to our feelings. Because if we can be disconnected from who we really are and disconnected from what we really feel inside then we can be controlled and we can be sold. And we're constantly being bombarded with messages and hypnotized and seduced with the programming by the noise around us. And it goes something like, you know, you turn on the TV, you turn on the radio, you turn on social media, you go to the magazine stand and we're constantly being bombarded with this message. It's another lie. It's a cultural lie. The lie goes something like, you are not enough. You yeah. are not enough. But if you just, you know, wear these socks, wear this, wear this underwear, have this pen, drink this drink, drive this car, then you will finally be enough and we get disconnected from the truth. We've been hypnotized from the truth that at the inherent depth and core of your being, at the depth and core of your being, you are perfect, whole and complete. You are made in the image and likeness of the infinite intelligence. Call it God, call it divine, call it whatever you want. We are all all a, a spark of that one life of creation. So the question I, I want each person, each of you to ask yourself is number one, where am I lying to myself? Where am I lying to myself? What lies am I telling myself? AKA, what am I pretending to not know? Because sometimes we pretend that we don't know. I don't know when we do. What lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? Second question, what are the lies costing me? What is it costing me, really? And many times we don't want to feel the pain of the lie of being out of integrity with ourselves because feeling the pain is, is inevitably, obviously, very, very painful. And so I'm saying rather than distract yourself, actually feel the cost, feel the pain. It hurts when you are betraying yourself. It hurts when you're living out of integrity. It hurts when you're not following your truth. Feel that because if you, if you acknowledge the truth and you feel the pain, it's only inevitable and a matter of time until you have to do something about it. One of the ways we keep ourselves stuck continuing, perpetuating a pattern of living, you could say, uh, not fully authentically, uh, uh, is because we, 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 we numb ourselves from the pain. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so feel the pain. The third question is, 
really ask yourself, uh, what, what is it I'm most afraid will happen if I tell the truth? If you can face this fear, many times we often make up a, a, a fear in our mind. We kind of make up a negative future fantasy of the great fear of what's going to happen if I'm really honest. What's going to happen if I really tell the truth? What will happen? And, and, and sometimes the mind makes up such an extreme version of reality. And many times the thing we're most afraid of actually never really happens. And so a future negative fantasy hijacks you in the present moment. And it's not even happening right now. It's not based on reality right now. And all the things we're afraid of, if I really speak to this person, they're going to leave me forever. And when you speak to them, they're like, okay, I, oh, I understand. And, and, and so we rob ourselves of our truth. We rob yes. ourselves of our life. So if you can just make peace with your supposed worst case, then it doesn't have to hijack your freedom in the moment. And the last question is simply, you know, sometimes we get so focused on the negative that we forget the possibilities. We forget the amazing things that might actually happen by living your truth. To me, truth is prayer. Truth is yoga. The ultimate spiritual practice is not downward dog or simply sitting in 20 <laughs> minutes of a specific yoga posture meditation. Because if you just meditate and do downward dog and do some great you know, energy technique, but you are living out of alignment, you are lying to yourself, it won't help you. Right. You must tell the truth. So truth Living the truth, feeling the truth, speaking the truth is the ultimate spiritual practice. So the last question simply is, goes something like, it's a possibility question of like, what amazing thing might happen? Don't just get focused on the negative. Don't just stay in fear because what you focus on expands. What amazing thing might happen if I tell the truth? Maybe, maybe I would, it may be by telling the truth, I might. I might have to let go of that friendship, but it might create more space. And I, I, I might actually meet my soulmate if I break up with this person. I might actually have the space now. I might actually be guided to, uh, to, 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 a, to a position and a job position that, that really lights me up. And so you have to be willing to let go. I always say you have to be willing to let go of what no longer works to allow the space for what you truly want and what is truly in alignment to show up. You must want the truth more than you want what you currently have. And when yes. you are willing to create that space, then life shows up uh, and often uh, can fulfill the next level in your life. Beautiful, Coop. Beautiful. And I couldn't agree with you more. So that is a bit of a segue in terms of, you know, when you say be willing to not know who you are based on everything you've just encapsulated mm. and shared with the listening audience, that's what you mean, essentially. Dissect it, recalibrate, reprogram. And yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, you know, many times we, when I say be willing to not know who you are, you know, it's kind of a an irony because in my field of personal development, personal growth, we're constantly told, know who you are, know who you are, know who you are. And, and so many times what I found is we think we know who we are, uh, but we actually don't really know who we are. And so sometimes we get so sure and locked in to an identity about who we think we are. And that identity is often based on our conditioning, the conditioning of our past, the conditioning of our childhood, the conditioning of your parents and of your grandparents and society and generation. And we get so locked into a tight grip on that identity. This is me. This is who I think I am. And then we often end up stuck living inside of a prison of this identity of who we think we are. And there's no freedom to fully express ourselves. And so let me explain. When we're born as children, right? If you, yeah. may, maybe those of you listening in, you have kids or, or you remember a moment when you were a kid. Do you remember a moment when you were a kid? You were this child and you would jump on the table and you would sing and you didn't care if you want Celine Dion or, or Bruno Mars. You just sung, you, <laughs> you know, you jumped on the table naked. You didn't care if you were, you didn't say, am I fat? You just were fully expressed. You look into a child's eyes. A child is in touch with the infinite. A child is in touch with their essence. That's why when we look into a child's eyes, we're reminded of our own true essence, our own true divinity. And so what on earth happened to us? We were so free and alive and radiant. And then we grow up to be 30, 40, 50. Sometimes if we don't deal with our stuff, you know, we end up unhappy, miserable, living, you know, living, you could say, living much less than we know we are capable of, living much less freely than we know we want to in our hearts, not loving as fully as we long to. What happened? 
So this is what happened. We're born free. Then we're born. We meet our parents. Our parents, you know, they're just doing the best that they can do based on their conditioning, based on their life. But we're born into an environment where maybe there's pain, there's trauma, there's neglect, there's abandonment, there's hurt, there's abuse, or there's just, you know, maybe just simply there's just things weren't quite how we wanted them to be as children. And so as children, we unconsciously learn two things. The first thing is we unconsciously learn a survival pattern mechanism of shutting down disconnect connecting, numbing parts of ourselves so that we don't have to feel the pain of what is going on in our environment. And we start suppressing, disconnecting, pushing down, suppressing parts of our feelings and emotions to not feel the pain. And so we disconnect from a part of ourselves in order to ultimately survive. That's the first thing. So now we don't have access to the totality of ourselves, the totality of our feeling, feelings. And then we go out into the world and we start Becoming, you know, maybe your your mother or your father or your caretaker or your grandparents, someone at some point said you were loud or singing or funny, and they said be quiet or children mm-hmm. should be seen and not heard, and you got pain or you were hurt. You maybe you were abused, maybe you were hit, whatever it was. And so we learned all sorts of ways unconsciously the sense of who do I need to be in order to get love from my mom? Who do I need to be in order to get love? Because it wasn't fully unconditional. Who do I need to be in order to get love? So we started to develop a persona, a mask, a way of being, uh, a way of being accepted. You know, if I show this face, then I'm loved. If I hide that part of me, I'm loved. So we start creating a character, a way of being an identity. And that identity gets reinforced. And the more it gets reinforced, the more we we, 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 we hold on to that, the more we identify with that. So, so we become this sort of... Uh, a collection of patterns of a way of disconnecting and shutting down and developing a mask persona and identity of who we think we are. We hold tightly onto that. We get locked into that way of being and we think that's who we are, but it's not who we really are. It's simply who we've been conditioned to be. Maybe you become the nice person or the sweet person or the caretaker or the, the responsible one or the dependent one or the cocky one or the funny one. Whatever it is, we develop all these masks ultimately to fit in. And I say, you are not your masks. You are not your identity. You are not your conditioning. You are not your story. And so is who you are who you really are or is it simply who you've been conditioned to be. And many times we've been conditioned, but we don't know we're conditioned. So the first step to transformation is really the, the, the step of becoming conscious and aware of the fact that you've been conditioned and programmed. The degree to which you're conditioned is the degree to which you do not have access to the full to, to free will. You are being run by the programming and, and the conditioning of the past that was set into uh, set into motion at a very young age. And that's why I say you must be willing to not know who you are for a moment because we get so sure on this is just who I am. I'm just a shy person. I'm just a quiet person. I'm just this kind of person. Mm-hmm. And I like to ask, are you really that? Or is it just who you've been conditioned to be? And we don't realize how much we've been conditioned. So first, we have to become aware of our, the fact we've been conditioned, start becoming aware of our conditioning, and be willing to feel the feelings that we've learned to suppress in order to function and survive. That's kind of Beautiful. step one. Beautiful. Well, let me ask you this then, Coot. As somebody who is as self-actualized as you are, for somebody who's as committed to self-awareness and always upping your game and always examining yourself and, and deconstructing, you know, yes, you're very evolved, but you're also a human being. And yes. there's no doubt that you can recalibrate very quickly because you're very consciously tapped into, okay, that energy doesn't serve me. That thought doesn't serve me. And you challenge yourself and you question yourself. But where within your own personal year of development, do you feel that you still have strides to overcome, whether it be a healing aspect, whether it be an intuitive aspect, whether it be whatever you define or deem it to be, what area of you are you still feeling needs to be more congruent with your actual self? Yeah, I mean, one, I was actually just speaking to my friend the other day, and this is going to sound a little strange. Uh, I don't know if it's going to sound weird, but for me, uh, I have a I, I, there's a part of me that is always you could say or can be very serious and just work nonstop because I feel like I'm on this mission you know I feel yeah. so driven by I'm on this mission and it's just mission and everything about this mission and it's for me it's like 24 seven and yes. so so one and I was literally talking to a, a friend on Saturday about it she is like the queen of having fun and so when you tell me fun I'm like what the, what the hell's fun. <laughs> 
I mean, because, you know, my work and what I do, on, in, in a sense, is fun. You know, yeah. I, 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 there's nothing I'd rather be doing. But the fact is, when she said, like, what do you, what do, you do for fun? I'm like, fun? I, I work for fun. She goes, well, that's not fun. I mean, that's work. That's your mission. And so, honestly, I think an area of growth for me, in a strange way, is actually, like, allowing myself to sometimes do nothing. Allowing myself to, to just have fun. You know, the, the, the stretching myself in this area of just having fun and, and just like being a kid, you know, and being just like allowing that kid part of me out to just be silly and have fun. And so that, that's an area of growth, I think. Uh, for 2000, for this next year, I am going to seriously work on. Beautiful. Beautiful. I appreciate you sharing that with us and being candid. So. What I would also like to know from you too, Coot, you know, who are some of your intangible, tangible mentors outside of some of the, the authors of the personal development world that you embarked upon at such a young age? What are some of your daily rituals? What are some of your mantras? You know, maybe talk about some of the self-proclamations. Like, what is it that you daily put into practice that keeps you on the straight and narrow in authentically honoring your soul and your own journey? Yeah, I mean, on, on a very basic level, uh, on a basic foundational level, rituals, I exercise every day. There's not a day that mm-hmm. goes by that I don't do something for my physical body because we are spiritual beings. We are these magnificent spiritual energy, energetic soul beings. But the fact is, we are housed in this lifetime in a physical body, which is our temple. And if we don't take care of our physical being, then uh, and, and, and learn to embody spirit, our spirit, and inhabit our physical being fully, then the total, you could say, at least in this dimension, the total potential of our spirit cannot be fully actualized in physical form. And so for me, taking care of my physical body is tremendously important, not out of a vanity thing, but out of a functionality, because I know the more I... I take care of this, the more my physical body will have the bandwidth, the capacity to channel, to download, to integrate, to embody the consciousness of my soul and spirit. And the more I can transmit that in my teachings, in my work with people around me. So I exercise every day. You know, I'm religious with that, even when I'm traveling, even when I'm working in my doing my events uh, for, let's say, and I sleep three hours a night. I'm, I do something physical where I run. I run, I jog, I do some kind of uh, lightweight training for at least minimum. On average, it's about an hour and 15 minutes a day. When I'm teaching intensely, I'm sleeping three hours. It's usually 45 minutes. But but just doing something opens up my mind. It's also a spiritual thing because my mind opens. So that's one. I meditate daily, just sitting in silence, meditating. Uh, that's what I love doing. Uh, mm-hmm. one, of, one of the things that also is a spiritual practice for me is, strange enough, is driving. So once a week, if yeah, I, 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 I actually like to just take a long drive on Sundays and just mm-hmm. clear my mind, be by the ocean. But it, so, so, so meditation is also a key component. Uh, another key component in terms of you could say mantra, you could talk about mantra, prayer, invocation. I forget how you put it in the question. Self-proclamation. Well, self-proclamation. For me, honestly, Lisa, my greatest prayer now, you know, I was having a conversation with someone the other day and she was like, well, don't you pray and pray for someone? I'm like, yes, it's one thing to pray for myself or pray for someone. But I got to a point, the deeper I go, where where the way I pray and proclaim and affirm is very different. Because many times we pray for things that we think we want based on what we think is what we think that we need. And the truth is uh, uh, what we think we need is limited to our current level of consciousness. What we think that we need is also limited to our level of conditioning and, and, and our mind. And the mind can only see a certain level. So for me, the deeper I go, I realize that I'm not really in control. The deeper I go, I realize there is an, there is an innate intelligence of life that's been around for billions and billions and billions of years, the same intelligence that is functioning the sun, the star, the moon, the seven billion you know, human beings and all the species on every different level from this world to the ocean to the galaxies to the planets there is an intelligence whatever label you want to put it and this intelligence has been around for billions and billions of years surely it knows what to do and so for me my prayer my affirmation the way i live my life my mantra more and more has simply become not telling god what to do or even asking for things it's just simply become i surrender mm. i surrender I surrender universe to the highest good. 
I believe there is no prayer, there is no affirmation as powerful as that. Because when you surrender fully, you, you, you acknowledge the fact that there is an intelligence that you are, that it is, that we are one with, that really is, you could say, in charge with. Or when you surrender fully, you bring yourself into the flow that already is. You are not trying to control life and tell life what to do or make a life. It's like going to the ocean and trying to make an ocean happen. You just get into the ocean and you relax into the ocean. You trust the ocean and you allow life to unfold through you. And so for me, I surrender is a way of just opening myself fully to being lived, opening myself fully to being loved through, open myself fully to, to, to getting into the flow and the rhythm of life and allowing life to move through and unfold its intelligence through me. When I was a child, my father would often, you know, let, tell me, ask me a question when I would be stressing out. And, oh, my God, how, what's this going to happen? How's it going to happen? This and that. He would say, did you bring yourself to this planet? And I would mm. say, what do you mean? Because you're stressing out, freaking out, this, that, life, school. Did you bring yourself to this planet? And I would say, well, of course not. I just showed up here. And he said, exactly. If you didn't bring yourself to this planet and you just showed up here and something brought you here, do you not think that something, whatever you want to call it, knows how to fulfill itself through you? Wow. And, and I said, you know, Dad, you kind of have a point. <laughs> so he said, so what, why, you, why all this stress? Why all this control? The ego constantly wants to control because that creates a kind of a, a sense of separation. And so struggle for those of us, and I was one of those people that you can see, if you asked me years and years ago, what's an area of growth? They would have been around struggle and suffering. I was a person that loved to struggle, loved for things to be hard, and loved everything to be hard and everything to be difficult because struggle is the ego's way of feeling self-important. And it creates a sense of separation from life, from the universe, from the flow. And ultimately, we are all part of nature. You look at a tree, you look at the mango on a tree, Lisa, it, it's just hanging out. The mango yeah. is not stressing. It's not sitting there freaking out. You walk by a mango tree and it's like, oh my God, help. How am I going to get to Ralph's? How am I going to get the whole foods? I need a mango therapist. It's just hanging out. And when the mango's ripe, it drops. And so you and I, we have disconnected from the fact that we are also a part of nature. And so for me, I surrender. My prayer is simply this. I surrender to the highest good. I surrender to the highest good in this relationship. I sur rather than, how's this going to be? How am I going to do? What's this going to work out? How am I going to get? How am I going to make it? How am I going to? I yeah. surrender to the highest good. Because when you surrender to the highest good, there are no limits. You are tapping into a stream of inf infinite intelligence. Yeah. Not just, well, I surrender to it being this way. No, no, no. I surrender to the highest good. Now you are invoking the highest good. And, and so you can rest assured that whatever happens, so long as you do your part, obviously, from a place of surrender, because you've invoked the highest good, you, you can rest assured that whatever ends up happening in your life will be the highest possibility for your soul's evolution. So the first mantra of prayer is, I surrender. The second one for me is universe, thank you. I believe there's also no higher prayer than thank you. Don't tell the universe what to do, train control. Because really, we don't know the amount of times when things happen in your life that you could not have planned, you could not have put on your poster board, you could not have written in your journal, and just things just happened. It's like, well, that was way beyond anything I could have imagined. So why don't we live that way? And so exactly. the second mantra for me is thank you. Living in a state of thanks, living in a state of acknowledgement, living in a state of gratitude, gratitude brings you into the flow it's not just what you think about that comes about but it's what you think about that comes mm -hmm. about and the more you can live in thanks the more living in see the ego the ego part of us that wants to create separation resists living in gratitude yeah we resist living in gratitude because to live in gratitude thank you universe thank you universe thank you universe is a profound acknowledgement to the and it's a spiritual thing to the inherent reality 
of what it is that is living life. To give gratitude is to acknowledge that there is a deeper intelligence than your separate sense of self, ego self, that is doing it all, that is functioning all. And so there's an egoic resistance to living in gratitude because, because, because it, it requires another level of surrender. And so for me, living in gratitude is, is living in gratitude. And, this, and people might say, oh, cool, I don't have anything to be grateful for. This thing happened in my life, and that thing happened in my life, and that thing happened, and then that thing, and that person died, and this person left, and I was a bit... And, and so I'm not going to deny that life is sometimes challenging. <clears throat> I'm not going to deny that sometimes some of you listening may have had a rough life, a challenging life, a difficult life. But I say to live in gratitude that the fact we have breath, to live in gratitude for the fact that you and I we all have the opportunity and the privilege to simply be alive, just to be alive, yes. to experience this wild, messy, sometimes difficult, crazy, you know, <laughs> unique thing called life where mm -hmm. we can experience heartbreak. It's not like the, the, the universe or God said, you know what, you are only going to, it's like going to Haagen-Dazs or going to, you know, an ice cream pond and say, sorry, you're only going to have vanilla flavor ice cream, nothing else. The universe has given us the opportunity to experience all of the flavors of life from love to orgasm, to joy, to pleasure, to sadness, to depression, unhappiness, to heartbreak, to enlightenment, to all the whole range of the flavors of life. We have this opportunity to experience the ice cream flavors of life, the total range. And so mm -hmm. I think just to be in gratitude for the fact that, you know what? I get to experience this wild trip called life. What a <laughs> unique opportunity. I mean, this is Art, if you want to see the most magnificent art show, you don't have to go to a museum or MoMA or LACMA. Just look around and look at the, look at the infinite wild imagination of life, of the Absolutely. divine. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so we get to be in awe and gratitude. So that's my spiritual practice. Love it. And there's a few things that you said I want to circle back on. So everything that you premised about the universe, I mean, you're, you're synergistically, we are so aligned, cute, as are the majority of the listeners who would gravitate to this type of program in the first place, and especially based on the feedback and the testimonials I receive as a result of listening to particular guests such as yourself. But my second book, titled Reimburse the Universe, is very much mm. premised on everything we just spoke about, uh, what you specifically just spoke about and highlighted with the listening audience. So, uh, yeah, it's... It's, um, you know, and when people talk about, you know, I went through this and I went through that, well, I'm no different. I have those plethora of experiences myself, but the difference being for myself, even within myself in terms of eroding and getting rid of the, um, the conditioning myself is, you know what? Thank goodness those things happened to me because I can't guarantee that otherwise I wouldn't be as empathic or as nurturing or as compassionate or plugged in or invested to the well-being of every other human that I share this planet with. You know, mm, so, mm. Uh, you know, if everything was easy and simple in my life and everything was handed to me and there was no life lesson attached to it or no level of struggle, I don't know that I would care about mm, anything, mm, truly. Mm, mm, so, mm. you know, knowing that I'm always unfortunately cognizant of time because I wish we could talk forever and ever. Yes. But knowing that we're kind of approaching the bottom of the hour here, Coot, you know, I think it's very and I talk about this myself all the time, um, mm. you know. I live every day as if it truly were my last because nothing mm. is guaranteed. And coming mm. from a prior vocation of working in crisis management mm. uh, within senior management and seeing all kinds of people, really, their, their lives turned upside down. I've, mm. you know, I've had the experience of people committing suicide in my, in my family life. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. it's really important to maximize the gift and the opportunity. Yes. Have right now yes. and knowing that it's a choice how you choose to expend your energy which can be extrapolated into the negative or mm. it can be extended into the positive to me it's a no-brainer it's a no-brainer mm. especially when you look at legacy how do i want to be remembered do mm. i want to be remembered as the victim do i want mm. to be remembered as the person who you know everything went down with me it was all about mm. me narcissism and ego <laughs> so mm. you know when you talk about death and I love how you preface it. Face your death. Make friends with death. Love it. Embrace it. And you, you consider that the best time management strategy. I love how you, mm -hmm. you just put that all together. So very quickly for the listening audience, explain that and maybe in such a way that they have an, an epiphany and go, okay, that's, that's what people talk about. That's what this means when people reference that. What does that uh, mean to you? 
Uh, I mean, simply, since, since time is short here, I'm going to just say directly to everyone listening, everyone, you are going to die. Mm-hmm. Just sit with that a second. You are going to die. Every breath, the three breaths that you just took, you're a little closer to your death. Mm. And the fact is, you can use that as a morbid thing and be all depressed about it, or you can use that as an inspiration, as rocket fuel, to realize, oh my God, I I don't know how long I have. Because the fact is, whether it's me, you, Bruce Lee, David Bowie, Bob Marley, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, uh, um, um, Mother, Mother, Mother Teresa, Mandela, Jesus, Buddha, you name it. Every single person that has come through the birth canal, lived this life, is at least on a physical level, have gone through a process of death. And so you realize, you know, even those people in 9-11 had no idea that they, they weren't going to come back that night and say to their loved ones, um, I love you. Or the people in the Southeast Asian tsunami had no idea they weren't going to come back that night and say to their loved ones, you know, I'm really sorry for what I did yesterday or the way I've been treating you. We have no idea. So you realize that when that moment comes, because it is it is the only guarantee. And yes, there's technology now that where people say, well, you know, you might live till 300 or you might live till 1000. I mean, maybe, possibly. But I say that until you can. Face your death, accept your death, the fact that your body will die, your soul is infinite, but this physical body will die, it's impermanent, then I believe that you're not really free to fully live life fully. And so the more you can face your death and accept the fact that you, your body will die, then the more you will actually be inspired to get on with the business of living your life because you realize you don't have time to waste. You don't have time to waste. And when you do die and you meet your maker, whatever you believe, you can't go to God and say to God, God, you know, I kind of, I wasted two years in that relationship because I was afraid and I wasn't really in love with that person. Can I get a refund on those two years? Or I wasted <laughs> seven years in that job. Because, you know, just because I was afraid, can I get those seven years back? Once it's gone, it's gone. Whether mm-hmm. you're black, whether you're white, whether you're green, whether you're orange, whether you're eight foot tall, two foot tall, Buddhist, Jewish, Muslim, Christian, whatever you are as human beings, whether you're Bill Gates or the person in the ghetto, mm-hmm. you and I, we all have one thing in common. Yes, we all have life in common. Yes, we get that. We have one thing that is equal in common. We all have a thing called time. The only thing is we do not know how much time that we have. So for me, the quality of your life is not the quantity of how many years you live. The quality of your life is how you live the time that you have. And so how are you living the time that you have? And if you realize that, then I hope that you're inspired to to love more fully, to let those people in your life know, I really love you. Many times we wait to the end of someone's life to then buy them flowers and we have this great funeral and then we see all these great things and then we cry and this person was amazing and I love them. It's like, are you telling them today? Did you tell them right now? Don't wait till they're dead in a coffin to buy them flowers. Are you doing it right now? Don't wait till they're dead and gone to tell them how amazing they are and throw a big party why not do it today, right now, while they have ears to hear and, and a heart to, to, to feel and, and eyes to see? Do it now. Live fully now. Live with no How would you need to live so that you had no regrets? And that's why I ask people, what if today was the last day of your life? Not as a thing where, oh, if today was the last day of my life, I'd eat all the ice cream in the, in the world. No, no. What if today was really the last day of your life as a way to get you in touch with what's meaningful? When you realize how precious... Every second of your life is, you, 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 you can't waste time. And so if you're in a moment, if you're driving, if you're upset, if you're, if you're going through something with your wife, if you you know, have a grudge towards your father, ask yourself, if I die today, if they die today, would I be at peace with this? Is this, like, is this how, I, how I'd want to go? Is this how I'd want to die? If this were my last day, last day, is this mm-hmm. it? Am I okay with that? And most of the time, the answer is no. And if the answer is no, don't waste time. 
do something about it, live with no regrets. And so for me, it's an, I hope, hopefully you use death as your friend to inspire you to live more fully, live more authentically, live more boldly. Yes. Because at the end, at, at the end of the day, whether you play it safe and you hold back and you don't give your gifts, you're going to die. Whether mm-hmm. you give your gifts and give everything and go for it, you're going to die. So at the end of the day, the result is the same. If the result is the same, you, how do you want to live your life as you're in the process of life itself? Beautiful, Coop. Can't thank you enough. And one thing I want to close with here that you say that I think is just absolutely true. It, it rings true as another bullseye. Just absolutely beautiful. When you are committed to the loving, you always win. Mm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I just want to say what a gift you are, and I can't thank you enough for just your energy. I mean, everything is about energy, and I absolutely got so much out of this just energetically, never mind the nuggets of wisdom and insights and experiences that you've shared with myself and the listening audience. And by all means, you're always welcome to come back here because for somebody who's as committed to growth, rapid growth, and for paying it forward and being of service, there's always going to be updates on your end that you can share with the listening audience. And I would only be too happy and too grateful grateful to invite you back to share that with us cute Mm, and i just want to say you know continue doing what you're doing you're a beacon of light i think you're just absolutely a phenomenal spirit and i really hope when the podcast comes out for people who weren't able to join us today with the live show please i always do even myself as the host i'm always sitting with paper and pen and i play back the podcast because there's always something to extrapolate there's always something in there that perhaps because of distraction you glaze over it and then you listen to it again and you go wow is that ever Mm. profound wow can that ever change my way of thinking today and by changing my way of thinking how much more of a contributor can i be to my fellow humankind and to society Mm. as a whole so Mm. i mean to me it's a no-brainer how to how to live your life and the type of legacy we should all want to choose to leave behind um so i just want to say coot thank you so very much i want to thank my listening audience once again for your loyal listenership i want to thank the half a million podcast subscribers living fearlessly with lisa mcdonald i want to remind you again that once the podcast link has been calibrated and it's up and going uh you can also find it eventually on my host page with the c-suite radio network over at c-suite i also want to thank halton honda again for believing in the content believing in the value and the benefit and the content of what it is that we're bringing here today myself joined with each weekly guest i'm here to uplift you to fear less and to live more and i want to encourage you to live fearlessly Life is too short, as Coot has already beautifully uh, depicted and illustrated. Life is too short not to see the goal, not to see the opportunity, not to see the growth opportunity. It's all about love, paying it forward, and being of service. So I encourage you to also be your own hero, your own shiro, your own leader, and your own best friend. So until next time, next Friday, back here every Friday, 8 a.m. Pacific. 10 o'clock Central, 11 o'clock Eastern. I want to wish you all my very best. Love and gratitude. Take care and all my best. Thank you, Coop. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.